Hi, and welcome to FreightWaves 3PL Summit. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the executive publisher here at FreightWaves. We got a great day for you. Right, but right now we have our keynote speaker in our, our session to kick off the day here with Ann Ranke. She is the new president and CEO of the TIA, the Transportation Intermediaries Association. And we're gonna have a great talk about the, the future of 3PLs, kind of their, their current conditions and everything in between. Thank you for joining us today, Ann. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry we're not in person, that we're still virtual, but I appreciate the invitation. You have a great lineup and some of the TIA members are featured prominently, so we appreciate it. Yes, they are, and we're still in a virtual world. I don't know for how much longer, but I can start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. How about you? I, I agree with you. I keep saying this. I don't, I'm sure thousands of other people are saying this, that you see the light at the end of the tunnel. You just don't know how long the tunnel is. But we are planning in-person events after our uh, Capital Ideas Conference in May. So we are planning for the latter half of the year to meet in person, obviously with a hybrid component. And we will be so excited to see each other. I, we are excited to get back to in-person events. Going to in-person events, we have the F3 Festival uh, set for early November here in Chattanooga. So I think everybody's ready to, to get back on the road and start seeing one another once again. Um, but you started this TIA. Actually, you know, before we really get started, um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Sure. So I am a native Washingtonian, so please don't hold that against me. Uh, but that means, though, that I'm here <laughs> organically. <laughs> and I am a Washington football team fan, and please don't hold that against me either. So. Um, but I, for many years, I have been in the transportation industry. I was with CSX for 16 years, so railroad industry, and I headed up their government affairs team. Uh, after that, I worked for the U.S. Department of Transportation. I had a couple roles there, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Intergovernmental Affairs, which basically means working with states, and then Deputy Assistant Secretary for Congressional Affairs. I started TIA at the end of October. So I guess we're almost at six months. And um, I have to tell you, this has been just a wonderful experience. I love our members because they are pragmatic and solutions oriented. And after going through a sort of toxic policy experience with the DOT, it's nice to be with people who are really just motivated to try to create efficiencies for their customers all around. It really is. I mean, you kind of went through your first six months at the, the TIA. I mean, what are some other lessons that, that you've learned from your first six months? You know, it can always be challenging at any new position to hit the ground. Those first six months is a, is a grueling learning curve sometimes. So uh, how's, it, how's it been? Well, it's been terrific. You know, um, I read the first 90 days, you know, that book. I feel like everyone has to read it before they start anything. And the focus from there was really to listen and to learn. And so that's what I spent the first 90 days doing, which is talking to whomever would talk to me about how their business is, the impact of COVID, what they're concerned about for the future, what they would like to see out of the TIA, what they'd like to see out of me. And that's not just external, it's also internal. Um, my approach to leadership is really working as a team and collaborating. And many of the folks, and you know them as well, have been with TIA for years. And so we have a really, really strong field of talent there and have been ably and, and adeptly helping me. That's fantastic. I, I know um, 
you know, dur during COVID, it's been challenging for all industries, you know, the, the entire globe, really. Um, but, but if we look at 3PLs and, and freight brokerages and, and kind of how they've adapted and and sometimes thrived in, in this environment, what are some of the, the lessons that you've learned from, from your members? Sure. Well, one of the things that we've all noticed as an economy, we've shifted from a service-based economy, obviously, to a goods-based economy. And so... While that means there's a heck of a lot of business on the roads and the capacity has never been tighter, it does mean that there's certain aspects of our members mix that were hurt. So if you have um, if you have a member who, let's say 40% of your business is going into the food service industry as opposed to grocery stores, you know, you had a fall off. And in fact, one of our members did their their business fell off. Um considerably, they were able to make most of that back because they shifted some of their mix to grocery stores. Um, but, you know, those kinds of things where you have members who are overall benefiting because there's just so much darn business out there. But, you know, you have to prioritize in a sense how you make your mix better. If there are gaps in your business, where you fill those gaps, et cetera. And so our members, as I said, are pragmatic and solutions oriented where they really benefit now, as I've talked about constrained capacity, is we are capacity aggregators, right? We have these relationships with tens of thousands of carriers and simultaneously relationships with thousands of shippers. And so with the spot market being as it is, with the capacity being as it, as it is, the brokerages are, have never been more valuable. So they really have. And, and Dave Broering and Mark Ford will be talking later on today about capacity strategies, capacity strategies in 2021. And that's is very important for for all 3PLs and freight brokers. And we saw in the last 12 months, you know, especially 2020, we saw the, the roller coaster of capacity going from the lockdowns about a year ago right now, starting through April. And uh, then the last, I don't know, six, seven months, eight months now, nine months, uh, it kind of drags on here, uh, is, is that capacity has been really tight. It's been a good base, good space economy. And uh, we're starting to see uh, that continue on through 2021. Right. And, and eventually, you know, it, when once vaccines are, are more present, once people have more confidence in getting out and about, sure, we're going to shift back to slightly more service-based economy. And so I think our, our members are already thinking that through. So how long does this last first? And then what do we do differently when everything sort of right sizes and goes back to where it has been? Because we are in a very sort of historically long period of tight capacity. So we know it will end at some point. Yeah, you know, uh, trucking logistics, you know, freight brokerage is, is right in there with three PLs. It is always volatile. It's traditionally volatile with these cycles, uh, but you know, over the last 18 months, or I, I guess 12 to 15 months, really, we, we've seen just volatility off the charts and adaptability is, and flexibility is, is hallmarks of great 3PLs. And we're about to see that again, maybe, whenever, this, whenever consumer spending goes from, from more goods back to a more of a mix uh, of services as people go back to conferences, people go on airplanes, people go out and, and enjoy live music and, and live, uh, live events and uh, restaurants. So adaptability is going to be on the roadmap for 3PLs uh, going back into the, the back half of 2021 into 2022. You're exactly right. And you know, and I, I think you would say this, I don't think I'm just bragging, but we have entrepreneurs as the cornerstone of our membership. And 
we have people who were five, 10 years in the industry and decide to strike out on their own and have been able to marshal their, what they've learned mainly by joining TIA, but marshal what they've learned through relationships, through best practices, through training into a real powerhouse. And because they are entrepreneurs, that means they're always thinking about, all right, what do I need to do differently? What, what do we anticipate the business trends are? And a lot of that they're doing through technology as well. Yeah, let's talk about technology and also entrepreneurship, because you said it's a very, very much a deep rooted entrepreneurship type of, of industry where a lot of people got their start at, starts uh, in their living rooms or their kitchens with a laptop and a telephone and a couple of subscription sets as a software uh, and, and technology and have, have created real businesses. I mean, really fast growing businesses that are out there. Uh, what what advice um, would you give to the entrepreneurs out there who are starting freight brokerages or are thinking about that, and uh, kind of lessons from other members of how to, uh, to how to get started and how to how to uh, succeed? Sure. Well, first of all, I would say join TIA. <laughs> um, <laughs> but beyond that, you're exactly right. There are low barriers to entry. Typically, you know, there's startup capital. There are regulatory requirements. You have to register with the FMCSA. You've got to get a bond. But otherwise, it's not like the railroad industry, which is a high barrier to entry coming from that. So I, I, I can discern the difference. Um, but what I would say is they have to network, network, network. They've got to make sure that they operate their business ethically. And they've got to develop relationships over time that will last because otherwise no one's going to come back to you. So if you don't have an ethical business, if you don't do what you say you're going to do, if you don't go out there and meet as many carriers and shippers, then you're not going to succeed. And so our, our, our members are very generous with giving kind of best practices and, and through our conferences and through our networking events, um, we've really been able to grow and harness the, the talent that we see just at the nascent stage into kind of the larger break brokerage firms. And, and I could talk to you about education all day, but you also asked about technology. I mean, that's the other thing, which is technology is sort of like, we fear it because of what it could do, but we love it because what it can do. So it's a double-edged sword. Um, the technology that we have that our members use, both proprietary and, and those that they use from our fabulous associate members, um, are difference makers. Just bluntly, they are difference makers. They make the difference between a successful uh, carrier, a successful shipper, and a successful broker, and one that isn't. And I'll give you an example. So one of our uh, members has a proprietary program that can translate essentially how a carrier speaks, the data program that they use with the shipper and how the shipper speaks. Because as you know, everyone has their own sort of type of software, et cetera. And so this is almost like a translator, which just makes it easier to do business and far more efficient. And, and one of our other vendor, I'm sorry, one of our other members, for example, has a program that they developed how to create a less than truckload, an LTL load. And by using, you know, is it refrigerated or frozen? Uh, where is it going? What lanes is, there, is it planning to go to? What stops along the way? What Are there any hourly restrictions? So the fact that we have this ingenuity um, from our membership, it just means, again, it shows the value of our members and of brokerage generally. Yeah, you, you, technology and freight tech is an exciting space. We, we have a lot of demo companies coming up later on in the day. And, and speaking as well, uh, 
you, you were talking about like partnerships and, and collaboration, you know, communication between different systems. Is that where you see, is that where members are, 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 are see the most positivity and the, oh, the most yeah. opportunity in, in technology or is Absolutely. there like unique applications for business needs? Yeah, I, I would say all of the above. Look, we're, we, we, have, we are, have fear, obviously, of what the digitalization of freight might look like if that was you know somehow going to obviate the the our purposes etc but quite frankly there are so many um skills that we can harness from the technology just to make it easier to do business just to expand our reach into the carriers that are available that are out there and into the shippers and that are available and out there and and really that's the beauty of it that we are developing these technology solutions to make it easy to do business so um, we see that as a strength of our industry, and so we want to go all in and invest. So, and uh, when you're, whenever you're networking out there with your other members uh, mm -hmm. of TIA, what are some of the uh, opportunities that they're seeing on down the road in the next, say, two, three, four, five years? What What are they most optimistic about? Gosh, well, right now, I mean, the economy, as we've talked about, has been really strong um, in terms of the goods-based economy. So they're there is still a real um, optimism about that. I think we're concerned, and now I'm gonna sound like a wonk, but we're a little bit concerned about monetary policy and inflation and what that could possibly mean long-term. But you know, if you talk to Noel Perry, our, our economist, he, he doesn't even, even he doesn't think that we need to start worrying about that for the next two years, but that's kind of in the back of our mind. But we really see an industry that has exploded over the last decade continuing to grow. There is, you know, um, like any industry, there's probably some consolidation that could happen over time, but we see vast opportunities out there. Um, one thing that will make it better, obviously, is, is a healthy road system. So we're pushing on, you know, service transportation reauthorization. Um, but we are very optimistic about the future and, and our role in it. You know, that is something we are as well. So the Freight Intel Group, uh, we, we wrote a paper uh, about a year and a half ago projecting out uh, the 3PL portion of domestic truckload, right? And we we're projecting out about a 50% about a increase over the next 10 years. So going from about 18% to uh, around 30% or more of all truckload transactions will be, uh, will be with a 3PL or a freight broker, some kind of intermediary in that. So I, I think that is a, a trend that is only, te technology is only fueling and, and driving. Is that, is that what you're seeing uh, from your seat as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one thing that we have noticed, and you all have too, I mean, anyone with a, a pair of eyes can notice, the congestion at the West Coast ports is something that we, we need to be concerned about because that has a ripple effect on the supply chain. And really, that means that the capacity that we're able to get is it's it's so scarce that that it's almost like you're picking and choosing which we don't want to be in the position of doing um but again we're really very optimistic about it you know covid taught us a lot of things it taught us how to expedite where we can it gave us a lot of lessons it also you know many people did this all from home right and so in a way you're you're sort of figuring out all right how we have the bandwidth to do this. We don't all have to be in person. We can make this work. What does that look like going forward? And I'll be talking about IT infrastructure and security uh, coming up on Put That Coffee Down later on in the day. 
And uh, working from home, that, that kind of sparked my, my, my mind to, to think about cybersecurity because it's been uh, over the last 15 months, two years, uh, we've seen a spike in cybersecurity attacks across all industries. Um, but a lot of times the, the 3PL freight brokers, especially the, the medium to, e e well, really even the large scale freight brokers that's out there are susceptible to uh, cyber attacks. And is that something that your members are, are talking with you about? Yeah, absolutely. And I've got to tell you, I'm not a cybersecurity expert, although I did stay at a Holiday Inn. No, I'm kidding. I, I but yeah, absolutely. This is something that is concerning to us all, especially if, you know, we have a very strong and healthy and robust VPN network with, with TIA. So, you know, not every member had that, so they had to develop that. And so then you have to make sure it's not porous, right? And so how do you do that? And if you're a small broker, um, having the resources to, to pour into IT, you just may not have the, the funds to do so. So we try to to, you know, through our vendors and through our relationships, try to provide assistance where we can, because that is a driving need. If you're all at home, you know, Sally may have uh, next door neighbors who are who, who are pirating cybersecurity, you just don't know. And so you've got to make sure that your systems are impervious. And um, we at TIA feel pretty good about our system, but we want to make sure our members feel good about theirs. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the top risks going forward right now. Uh, in the next five years is going to be the, the number one risk. Uh, num number two, and, and maybe those are interchangeable, right? I don't want to rank them. But the two biggest risks are cybersecurity and then legal risk because the legal landscape and nuclear verdicts, uh, you know, if you're not scared as a 3PL about it, you should be, just like cybersecurity. You, you should be fearful of both of these risks. Uh, what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, you're exactly right. So there's a couple things that are happening that you're aware of. One of them is there is this notion that the independent contractor model should be scrutinized and should be changed. So one of the things that our members are concerned about, and I'm, I guess I'm mentioning specifically the PRO Act, is that somehow then the broker would be held liable for the decisions made by the independent truck driver. And so would you, we would be held liable vicariously for any kind of accidents, healthcare, et cetera. So um, we're obviously decidedly against the PRO Act and, and are being very vocal about it along with many of our you know, association partners and our trucking partners, et cetera. On the other hand too, you have this negligence selection issue that you referenced where brokers get caught up in lawsuits and um, you know, being blamed for selecting a carrier. Now, you know this as well as I, 89% of the carriers out there are unrated, meaning the FMCSA has never even visited them or provided a physical audit to determine if they have insurance, if they you know, have, um, have had traffic incidents, what have you. They just haven't even gone out. Now, all of that data exists, we don't have access to it. So it's not like we necessarily know, but we are happy to, to develop a framework. And in fact, we have been for the last few Congresses promoting this, what we call the Motor Carrier Safety Selection Standard, which essentially would say, hey, FMCSA, use the data that you collect rather than a physical audit. Because in the days and age of COVID, we know they weren't able to go out there and really audit anybody. And, and quite frankly, we're also in an era of constrained resources. So why not use the data you already collect, 
let's all agree on what that data should be, right? Because obviously, you know, there would be some disagreements about that. So let's agree on what that data is and then use that to set the standard, either green light, red light. And at that point, we feel like, look, we're not trying to get out of anything. We're just trying to say, if there's confusion and if 89% of these carriers aren't even rated, then we need to make sure that landscapes is, is more understandable. And quite frankly, it's in the interest of safety too. It, it is. It's in the interest of safety and it, it's very unclear. It's just one big gray area whenever you're, you're doing your vetting uh, of carriers because there's no precedent of how to go about doing it, right? So no matter what you do, even if it's very rigorous and you think it's very rigorous and it's, it's above and beyond what any other 3PL does, uh, you can, you're still liable or not liable, but you still face some bit, face a little bit of, yeah, you have to defend yourself because uh, there's no set system to, to vet carriers. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so we think that, look, in the past, we know that some people thought it was tort reform. That is not what we're going for. This is not what we're not interested in tort reform. All we're trying to do is say, here's what the playing field is. We want to play in it. Let's do it. Let's provide a safe framework so that we're all operating on that playing field. And I think most 3PLs, uh, most 3PLs should uh, should agree with that statement. Hopefully they do. They definitely, hopefully they do. Uh, how about any other regulatory uh, issues that are out there that the TIA is really keeping a tab on that, that directly influences and affects the 3PL industry? Right, well, as you know, last year we had an issue um, I guess with rate transparency is the best way to say it. I do think that I'm opining, I wasn't at the association at the time, so I'm opining from, I guess, from an armchair. I'm like an armchair quarterback here. But my sense, we all are, right? We all are. My sense of it is that this was a government shutdown, market-driven, five-week, almost economic crash, right? Economic recession, let's call it that that drove truck traffic into an abyss. And so you had all the carriers chasing 25% of the traffic, right? Because it was reduced so sharply. And obviously that that drives um, rates down. It just does. And so this was a market force at work. And for whatever reason, you know, some for who knows why, brokers were somehow pointed as responsible or to blame or, or you know, profiting off it. Uh, none of that is true. These are all business cycles, right? And so now, hopefully, we've moved past it. Hopefully, it was such a sharp economic um, cliff that we don't have to have these kinds of ill will and and kind of finger pointing again. I think we'll move past it. Um, I've, we've already talked to OIDA. We're, we're hopeful that we can move beyond it. And, and as I mentioned, and as you know, there is so much... <laughs> truck traffic out there and so little capacity. I don't imagine that this will come back again because um, they have a lot of leverage, but you never know. Well, we're just do our best, right? Yeah, yeah. Just do your best. I mean, I, and not to be wonky myself, but you, I think in the second quarter of last year, you had 30 per, 30% drop of GDP or maybe even more. I mean, it was the, the most since the Great Depression. I think it even eclipsed the, the sharpest drop in, in that. So, you you know, our OTVI, our outbound tender lead or tender volume index here uh, at Freightwaves at Sonar uh, showed uh, that there was uh, times in the midweek during, during April of 2022 that you had less volumes moving than on a normal Christmas day, 
right, or a federal holiday, which is, is insane to think about, but it rebounded very quickly out of that as economic activity uh, increased and spending went skewed more toward goods uh, for the past few months. And you see uh, spot rates up above $3 a mile in, in many cases, and it's been a very strong market. So um, I, I agree with that, that, you know, when you see a 30% drop in GDP overnight, uh, everyone's hurting, right? But the shippers are hurting, you know, because their sales are down for the most part, or even if they're up because of panic buying, you don't know how long that's going to last. And it just, that just feeds down through, through all the, the, the downs or downstream, uh, downstream vendors and, and places, uh, that, that, or goods that get trucked. You're exactly right. And I, our members were hurting. Everyone was hurting. I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, we we had to fight to get ourselves declared essential workers. I mean, truck rest stops were being closed. This was a very, very uncertain time. Can you believe it's been a year? I cannot believe it's been a year. Uh, it seems like it's been a decade. <laughs> So, so, Anne, uh, let, let's hear your, your goals. You know, you, you came in about six months ago. I'm sure you had some goals in mind. You've been there for six months now, and maybe some of those goals have changed a little bit, but you have a better, better idea of what the, the goals should be for the TIA going forward. Uh, what are they? Sure. Well, so when I started, I think my goals really were um, staff empowerment, making sure our staff um, felt like they were they were being turned to, that I wanted to turn to them to collaborate with them and that I relied on them. So that was my first goal. And we're still, obviously that's that's an iterative process that doesn't stop after the first 90 days, that continues on. My second goal was to amplify our advocacy. So the pandemic did a lot of things for a lot of people, uh, but the, one of the consequences unintended, I think, was it made the supply chain uh, somehow known and understood a little bit better by- It's a superstar now. Exactly. The supply chain is the superstar of business right now. That's exactly right. And so because I think TIA and I think brokerage probably was flew a little bit under the radar for, for a long time. I don't think we do so anymore. And I think we should just harness that and, and continue to really amplify our voice. So what do we stand for? We stand for safe, ethical and efficient movement of freight. And so we really want to pump up that advocacy. We want to pump up that image. And we're just thinking of ways to do that. Obviously, you know, we can't do it in person yet, but we, we will do it in person soon. And we do have our May 11th through 13th virtual um, session. But, you know, our, our point really is that the cat is out of the bag, that the supply chain is important. So let's take that as an opportunity. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see going through 2021 into 2022 if, if the supply chain uh, becomes the, uh, the, the the fad of the, the next few years in business schools. Uh, it was finance, it was marketing. I, I don't know if supply chain for the next 10 years will be what everyone has an interest in, but but we will see, definitely. Thank you very much for, for joining us today, Anne. And how does, uh, how does everyone reach out and contact you, learn more about the TIA, especially for non-members out there? Sure. So our website is tianet.org. And then I'm at ranky at tianet.org. And we're always happy to get any questions or any kind of, you know, what if you have suggestions? I'll take them. The nice thing about being new at an organization is that I'm a blank slate. So I, I have no pride of authorship and I want to take in all the information I can.
Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today, kicking off the 3PL Summit. Uh, we have a great day in store for everybody. So stay tuned to the next uh, Fireside Chat. Thanks for having me on, Kevin. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Anne.